With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now through the neutral zone comes Connor McDavid. Double team, got it back. Great shot, score. What a beautiful move. Deep backhand, went back to the forehand. And welcome back, Connor. His sixth goal of the season is a work of art. Riley, he's going to keep it. He hits the five. Hey, Edmonton, that's your quarterback. Mike Riley to the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimo. Ladies and gentlemen, Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 6.30 Chad. Just seconds ago, the longest game in the history of the CIS University Cup ended. And I mean seconds ago, like just when Matthew Panasic started the intro. The University of Saskatchewan Huskies beat Carleton. 3-2, the winning goal coming at 6-11 of the fourth overtime period. So the Huskies advance to the University Cup semifinals. They will play either the U of A or St. FX. This was a game that was supposed to start an hour ago. An hour ago. It'll now probably start in about an hour or so. It's it's already after 9 o'clock in Halifax where the uh, tournament is being held. So the Saskatchewan Huskies, the Canada West champions, the number two seed in this tournament uh, advancing. I just saw the goal. It was off a faceoff. The puck went in front and it looked like it somehow snuck under the goaltender and barely made it uh, over, the, over the goal line. So the Huskies win it and survive uh, you know a year for them where they've been the best team in Canada West Parker Thomas getting credit for the goal uh, unassisted for the U of S a, a year where they've uh, been the best team in Canada West they were ranked number one in the country at times and uh, you know Dave Adolph their head coach who has often has had his very good teams come up short at nationals you know saying in an article earlier this week that he you know he doesn't doesn't feel the pressure, doesn't feel like he's been labeled as a guy who can't get it done in the big game. Well, they were pushed today, but they do survive. Man, that is uh, an incredible story. Anyway, this is Inside Sports on 630 Ted. It is 6.08. We'll keep you updated on the U of A game once it gets started. Bob Stoffer will be on tonight to talk about the Oilers, talk a little bit about the University Cup as well. Yeah, longest game in University Cup history. 6-11 of the fourth overtime. So they played, uh, what, two full games, so 120 minutes plus 6-11. 126 minutes and 11 seconds. That is uh, nuts. Good thing they got the day off day off tomorrow. Todd McClellan is on the show tonight. He's the head coach of your Edmonton Oilers. They were winners last night, 6-4 over the St. Louis Blues. You may have noticed the power play finally did a thing or two, or four, really five, they, they kind of got two goals on the same power play, but one was disallowed for being offside. Oh, and this is uh, one of the themes we're going to be talking about tonight is is the the draft age because there has been some discussion to 
raise the age of draft-eligible players to the NHL to 19. Some people even want it to go to 20. Kelly Rudy will talk about that. Paul Reinhardt as well, former NHL defenseman, former first-round draft pick himself, who jumped right into the league after being drafted. And, of course, his three sons, including Griffin Reinhardt, uh, all draft picks uh, as well. Sam Reinhardt playing for the... Uh, for the Buffalo Sabres, so he's going to be on to dive into this issue, too. It is a pretty interesting one. And we'll go to St. Paul to talk to Bryce Balmer. He's the president of the St. Paul and District Minor Hockey Association. Besides getting him to comment on the status of the UFO landing pad, we will talk about their pursuit to be named Kraft Hockeyville. Reed Wilkins with you. It is 6:10. This is Inside Sports on 6:30. Ched. Uh, I, I don't know, Matthew. When a game goes that long into overtime, you start getting like you start getting antsy about it. I was mostly watching it on on Twitter. I didn't have the online feed going, but I got I, I seriously got the online feed going in the studio about forty seconds before the goal was scored. Then I just just sort of caught it. And I'm not going to lie to you. I did not want the U of S to win because I'm a mean spirited, vindictive human being. You don't like anything Saskatchewan, do you? That's not what I said. That is not at all what I said. How dare you suggest that? <laughs> the Saskatchewan Huskies being a rival of the U of A Golden Bears, I specifically do not cheer for their team to be successful. Very well. It has nothing to do with the entire province, and I resent that. Okay. I don't like the entire province. There you go. So, oh, wow. That's great. That's great. By the way, that was Matthew that said that, not me. You can text 630-630, the phone number 780-496-0063. The Oilers back at practice today, and uh, the mood a little lighter after last night's success. Getting drilled and quizzed and about the power play, and you, know, you get hot all of a sudden, and it goes in the net. Great shot score off a deflection, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And the Edmonton Oilers convert on the power play. Save, rebound, score. Mark Latestu is off the schneid. It's 3-2 Oilers with their second power play goal. One-timer score. A beautiful redirection, and Drysaddle's got a power play goal after all. Everly goes to the front of the net. Nugent Hopkins shoots and scores. 5-2 Edmonton. I thought the power play was... Um... It, it had an all-time high as far as urgency went, and it outworked the penalty kill. And it was as simple as that. We weren't cute, we weren't fancy. We shot, we got the puck back, scored on rebounds. Nothing fancy about it. All right, that's head coach Todd McClellan. So four power play goals in one game for the Edmonton Oilers. That is one behind the team record. On five occasions between 1980 and 1988, they had five power play goals in a game. Twice they did it after Wayne Gretzky was traded. So it wasn't all him playing the setup man. So four in this uh, day and age, pretty rare. What, they moved up, I think, from 27th to 19th in the overall rankings on the power play just because they went four for six in one game. Obviously, it's pretty tight. Todd McClellan used that word urgency about the power play. And, and here, here's, the, here's the thing. I mean, the Oilers' power play had uh, for a lot when it hadn't been successful, one for 32 over the previous 14 games, it had looked tentative. I mean, we've all complained and talked about Sekera in particular not getting shots through. Okay, fine, fair enough. But where were the one-timers? Where was the decisive, quick decision-making, you know, with the passing? 
that, that leads to creating those shooting lanes. And that's one thing that has always bugged me, and it often inflicts teams that don't do well on the power play. They get on the power play, and they slow it down. And I know because you have the man advantage, you should have more time, you should have more space, and you don't want to just throw the puck away with reckless passes, but you still have to move the puck quickly. You, if you have an advantage, you have to make an, adv an advantage. And the Oilers have not been making an, an advantage. And McClellan's also right. They were able to outwork the St. Louis Blues. Get to the pucks, keep pucks alive, get to the pucks in front of the net. You know, Latestu's goal, obviously a rebound goal. Nugent Hopkins' first goal. Maroon, who you're going to hear from in a few minutes, able to get the loose puck back to Nuge for the quick shot. So they had the net, net presence. They, they did things quickly and they got shots through from the line, and, and that created trouble for the St. Louis Blues, who, let's be frank about it, were not the St. Louis Blues that we have been used to seeing, but if you catch a team on an off night, then you got to beat them, because you don't often catch a team on an off night. I mean, that was a game, I thought, especially after St. Louis made it 2-2, with six minutes left in the second period. That's That concerned me because, you know, as, as we've seen, as, as the Oilers have been very up and down recently, we've seen a lot of times they haven't responded well to a goal against. They had a 2-0 lead. They allowed a quick goal against a 2-1. They get out of the first period. St. Louis, I thought, had a good start to the second frame. Uh, I think it was Schwartz that made it 2-2 six minutes in. And then the Oilers played well, and I think St. Louis sagged. And... and it was the Oilers carrying the play below the hash marks in the St. Louis end. And that really has almost never happened in pick a number of years whenever these two teams meet. And I think the Oilers were able to do that because they got to pucks quickly. Uh, their bigger players, like Maroon specifically, created some problems for the Blues down low. And that led to the Oilers getting those power plays. And then they kept the energy up on the power play and they got the goal. 780-496-0063. We have Jamie on the line. Hello, Jamie. Hey, Reed. How are you doing this evening? I am doing great. You must have loved the game last night. Well, I'm, I'm glad the power play came through. Yes, I, I, I did love that part for sure. You know, I actually really liked the, uh, the response last night from uh, a lot of the uh, players on the Edmonton team and uh, liked how Maroon and uh, Cassian and uh, Nurse really uh, played a big body game. A uh, comment I wanted to make was uh, I wasn't too impressed with Kim Hitchcock's comment at the after the game uh, about how uh, St. Louis can't play down to other teams. I think, uh, you know, they came in, and for once, um, Bacchus couldn't push push the team around like he used to. Well, I, here's the thing. You're right. The, the Oilers were not pushed around last night, and I think the three guys you mentioned were a big part of that. But, but like I was just saying, Jamie, I don't think that was a St. Louis team on top of their game. And teams go through ebbs and flows. They clearly weren't good enough in Calgary, and they weren't good enough in Edmonton. I mean, if both those teams play at their potential 10 times, the Blues are probably going to win 7 or 8 out of 10. But the Oilers did what... The, I can't fault what the Oilers did. They can't control how hard the other team is going to play. They can only control what they can control, and, and they did that last night. But you were mad, a little mad at Hitch, eh? I, I wasn't impressed with his comment, and I really wasn't impressed with the Bauer hit at the end of the, near the end of the game. Oh to yeah, me, that well. was a dirty hit. In all honesty, I, I've seen Oilers get suspensions for hits that are really 
you know, not even as bad as that one was. I'm kind of curious why the NHL hasn't uh, made the phone call for Bauer on that hit. Well, the NHL has a weird thing, Jamie. I, I don't think, and you've probably heard me complain about the inconsistencies. And look, I think Nurse should have been suspended. Did I think it was going to be three games? I didn't. I'm fine with there being an actual suspension. But then you're right. Sometimes there's a blatant hit from behind or a stick foul, which I think are kind of the worst of them all. And they'll they'll not do as much as you would expect or nothing. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I've been watching watching the game at uh, games all year, and I have a good friend of mine who used to do a lot of officiating over uh, overseas for World Juniors and whatnot, um, and you know, professional referee. And he's he actually t- has told me straight to his face right now until the NHL cleans up its officiating and their act when it comes to their suspensions, he doesn't even want to watch hockey anymore. Oh wow! Like, and you know, myself being a, a former ref as well. I have to tend to agree. Like I see so many non-calls any uh, that are not aren't made, or the, the questionable officiating. Like good example is the first penalty to, to Nurse last night, and the missed call on uh, on the uh, slash to the hands of McDavid on one of his breakaways. Oh yeah, I thought that. Yeah, I thought that they got away with a hooker slash on that one for sure. Uh, refs refs have a tough job. I, I think you notice more when it's something missed against an Oiler for sure. Um, but I mean, I don't. You can't. The Oilers had six power plays last night, so <laughs> I'm not going to complain about that. I'm not going to complain about that, you know, at, at all. And I was just happy to see the uh, the power plays actually click last night. That was the, the big thing that uh, that was good to see. And you know, for once, I actually got a glimpse of what the team could look like with uh, Drysaitel, McDavid, and. Uh, and Hopkins playing all at once. So I think that was, you know, this is one of the few games we've actually seen all three of them play center the same game. And Nuge played well. Jamie, thanks for the call, man. You're welcome. Have a good one, Reed. We got Alex up next on the phone line at 619. Alex, I got to take a break first, and then you're up. Inside Sports on Chad. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chance. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. Todd McClellan, head coach of the Edmonton Oilers, between 7 and 7.30 tonight. We'll talk a little bit about uh, him hooking up with Sports Central as an ambassador and, of course, the current Oilers season. Reed Wilkins with you. Alex on the line. Alex, thanks for waiting through the break, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'd like to make a couple of points, if I may. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, uh, St. Louis wasn't the same team they've been playing uh, been all year, and a little bit of dip there between uh, Calgary and Edmonton now. And uh, yeah, the Oilers' power play looked pretty good last night. But you know, all year I've been hearing, uh, you know, when the Oilers do something right and do it really right, we all get carried away and we're all everything's nice and cozy again. And then they followed by about three or four games of the same old, same old. You know, it's pretty apparent that we need these three centermen uh, going forward, with David uh, Hopkins and Drysaddle. But uh, what's more important is everyone has got to realize we still need that number one defenseman who can run a power play and has a shot. Nothing's going to change on that team until we do. And uh, Clefbaum is still too young. He's not the answer for that. Zakara definitely isn't. And I think Taylor Hall has really played his last nine games as Nevitz Norther. That's the guy they're going to trade for, uh, that defenseman. I really believe that. 
Well, there's no doubt that this this one game doesn't mean that the power play is uh, good, repaired, whatever word you want to use. And there's no there's no doubt there's not there's not that big threat of a of a cannon from from the blue line. I, I guess the thing is, last night is at least when a guy had a shooting lane, he didn't hang on to the puck and stick handle it 20 times and then pass it slowly to somebody else who also didn't have a shooting lane. Like at least they well, made quick decisions last night. That's true. I, I, I get that. But you know what's going to happen is when that's not going to happen every night. You know, you're going to get more aggressive defend, uh, defenders against those, those small forwards again. And, uh, and the thing is, is I, I really am stuck on this Taylor Hall leaving town. The reason why is because if we pick top three and get one of those two big finish wingers and someone who can play that might be as, just as talented as uh, Connor McDavid. Now, and I know that's a lot of big of what ifs, but we're talking salary leaving town and someone who can uh, fetch us a defenseman. Well, I, th- I mean, I think Everly or Hall will wind up going because I think, and it doesn't mean other guys might not going somewhere, might not wind up being traded somewhere along the line. But if you want me, if you want me to give my opinion about this summer, I think it'll be one of those two wingers, maybe both. Who knows? But but I just think Shirelli and McClellan are really curious to see McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins all healthy at the same time. Because you either have three centers who have a lot of upside to their game on your team at the same time, or you maybe load up a line with Dreisaitl as a winger for one of the other two. Yeah, I think you're going to see that play around with that, uh, you know, Dreisaitl going in the wing for sure, like, like he did with... Uh, the guys in uh, San Jose, we know, but we all know about that. Um, anyway, I, I'm definitely looking forward to the off season, you know, and where the balls end up and where they pick, and uh, looking forward again to see if they can pluck that uh, defenseman that they so sorely need. I I know they're trying their best, you know, with Sakara coming in, you know, and, and that's a pretty healthy contract, but you know, we we still need that uh, that all-star defenseman back there. Gary, thanks for calling, man. I got a break for the news. Alex, uh, or sorry, who was I just talking to there? <laughs> Alex, sorry, Gary's next. That was Alex. Boy, I'm still, I'm still all shaken from the quadruple overtime game. Uh, Gary, Daryl are on the phone line, and Kelly, Rudy, and Todd McClellan to come over the next 60 minutes. You're listening to 6:30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. The Devils are creaming the wild 6-2 late in the second period. Hurricane and Penguins 2-2 in the second. Panthers lead the Leafs 1-0 early in the second period. First period, Predators up 1-0 on the Islanders. Detroit leading Columbus 1-0 late period 2. Lightning and Stars later on, as well as the Rangers against the Kings and the Sharks against the Coyotes. The Oil Kings host Red Deer at 7. The Oil Kings can sweep the home and home with Red Deer and clinch a playoff spot. If they can't sweep it, got to wait and see how the Medicine Hat Tigers do. There are two behind the Oil Kings for the second and final wild card spot. And in Halifax, the U of A Golden Bears will start soon against St. FFX, St. FFX, St. FX in their national quarterfinal. The Saskatchewan Huskies beat Carlton 3-2 in quadruple overtime in the other game today. That is crazy. The Oilers practice today. They will play Vancouver tomorrow. This is your Action Furnace Oilers report. Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. You can visit actionfurnace.ca.
Ca. We'll have Todd McClellan on the show in half an hour. We'll have Kelly Rudy in a few minutes. But first, some gentlemen want to talk to me. One of them is Gary. Hello, Gary. Hey, Reed. Good evening. Thanks for taking my call. Appreciate it. No problem. Um, the first point I want to start with tonight is I, I've called a number of times in uh, after the game uh, with uh, you and Rob there, and I point out about the power play. Uh, finally, we see a night uh, last night against St. Louis, uh, a tough team that we always had problems playing against, and we produced uh, four power play goals out of six chances. Could have been five, but moving up to from 20 to 27, from 27th to 20th, excuse me, uh, quite impressive. And uh, I just kept uh, mentioned earlier, uh, to keep it simple, uh, get a shooting lane open, get the puck to the net, um, and uh, just crashing it. And uh, doesn't have to be the they're not the most prettiest goals, but nowadays the score in the NHL being some, somewhat less room and um, and you have to react to the puck as fast as you can to get the puck, uh, you know, before the defense does or recover anyways. And I've been harping that before and finally did it last night. That was the most impressive power play this whole year. That's the first point I wanted to make. Uh, second, in regards to all these injuries that we've had, decimating our, our defense. I mean, any team that loses all their key players, and especially in the playoff run, um, some other teams in the past too, not just the Oilers, but when you lose so many players and, and you don't, and you don't have everyone, whether it's defense and forwards, um, playing together and building that chemistry, then it makes it tougher throughout the season to, to, to develop that chemistry and maintain consistency in play, too, you know? Um, the third point I want to make is um, with the remaining nine games now, five um, at home here, four on the road, I just hope that the players on this team will play their hearts out Play that want that players that want to play and stay in this team, because I'm sure Shirley and the other management are assessing all these players and see who they're going to move, who they're going to keep. I hope these guys that are padding up their points, like uh, Connor McDavid, for example, um, can add more points to uh, uh, to be to be considered for the Calder Trophy Rookie of the Year too, and, yeah. and some of the other guys too. You know. Yeah, for sure, Gary. Thanks for calling, man. I, I got to clip along and get a couple more guys in. Appreciate that. Daryl also on the line. Hey, Daryl. Hey, how you doing, Reed? Doing well. Hey, uh, I just wondered, like, we, we get excited a lot when we see the Oilers do well and perform well, rightfully so. But, you know, if history has shown anything with the Oilers is that they've been really inconsistent. I'm wondering, I can't help but wonder, if it's not kind of an attitude problem that they've got maybe in the dressing room and whether or not one or two or more people or maybe it is just one person that's got kind of a cancerous attitude. I remember two years ago, Andrew Ferentz made reference to that about wearing the jersey. It should be uh, it should be more of a pride and respect thing versus an entitlement. And, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's hard to say that – it's hard to be excited when you know that eventually they're going to fall off that uh, – the hill that they've been climbing when they show what they could do like last night with the power play and scoring the six goals in the game because uh, they did the same thing when they played Ottawa and Toronto and then all of a sudden you know they fell off the wagon again so it's I, I don't know what do you think about that well I, th- I mean you brought up a lot there first of all not only have the results been wildly inconsistent let's face it Daryl the effort has been inconsistent and that's more concerning to me than the results because a good effort unfortunately does not guarantee a win in this league but they've had too many games where they've disappeared when things yeah, have got tough. That's right. I say. I wonder if it's not an attitude issue. Right, and I, th- I and honestly, I think it is. And I, I wouldn't go so far to say is it's it's a cancer or that there's a couple guys that are dividing the team. 
but I think there are players that have been here a while, and a lot of those obviously are younger players, who have never won. They've never played a meaningful game past New Year's Day, or what, pick whatever day you want. I guess I'm generalizing, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. And and they they haven't had savvy veterans who have held them accountable, and they haven't had the same coach holding them accountable year after year. That's why they got to stick with McClellan. That's why they need the Maroons and the Hendrixes of the world to to stick around. I know Hendrix has been here a while, um, and and I think that's also why maybe one of those guys not only will be traded, maybe needs to be traded to send yeah, that message, that right? They're becoming a, a full-out cancer, but I mean, or dividing the team. But it's almost like that. Their that attitude has affected the outcome, and even the, like you say, the effort level. And the one last thing I was just going to ask about is, um, you talked last night about David Backus being a UFA, and how he probably wouldn't be going to the Oilers. But you know, we've we struggled with trying to find veterans that are impact players. And I wonder, you know, with the team trying to get bigger and stronger and faster what that looks like in terms of free agents or possible trade candidates to make sure that when we get a veteran, you know, we look at it like a blueprint that Dallas has. We're getting people who can contribute effectively night in and night out to ensure that they kind of, you know, they contribute to the lineup and the point total every night. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I didn't get to, to chime in on Bacchus last night. He's making four and a half this season. He's 31. He's obviously going to want to raise and he's going to want as many years as he can get. Um, but I, you're right. He is the type of player that could help the team. I, I, I assume you could move him to the wing if you needed to, right, for periods of a time. I, I guess the question is if he wants five or five and a half, okay, you can probably afford him because you're going to get the Nikitans of the world off the books. How long are you willing to sign him? Yeah, and I guess that all depends on how long he's willing to commit to Edmonton. You know, I mean, if he's looking for a contender, obviously he's not turning his way to the Oilers, but um, if he looks at the forecast and sees what the potential is for the team and he says, you know what, maybe a two- to three-year deal and we'll see what happens in two or three seasons, then you're looking for something good. But, I mean, he's more likely to sign with a different team who's going to contend, you know, probably like the Bruins, who he would fit very well with their lineup as long as they can fit him in with cap space. But uh, it's just, you know, players like that that don't come around every once in, you know, too often. And we tend to pick up the guys that are, are you know, bottom six forwards yep. versus top six forwards. And when we have that opportunity, I mean, I, I think this is where I say before, I put faith in Shirelli that he's going to make the right call on these acts and bring in the players that are going to be those impact players. So he's just one that stands out to me. I mean, there aren't too many in his position coming up in uh, July 1. Yeah, I, I think he'd be I think he'd be fine. I mean, a lot of guys would help here, given given where they're at. And then they, I'm still worried about the third line and maybe a guy or two on the on the second line. Daryl, thanks for calling. Thanks, Okay, we got Kelly Rudy standing by. Chad, I can only give you about 40 seconds. Can you can you make your point here? Or ask your question. Yeah, I can. I just wanted to ask you about expansion, Reed. They've been talking about it for a while, and uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on what. Uh, what it would be like as far as the depletion of talent across the league, especially with the defense. I think uh, you don't have 30 guys right now who can anchor a power play on each team, and that's what Edmonton's looking for right now. And there's a handful of teams like Buffalo and um, Toronto and Ottawa and Edmonton and you know all these lower-placed lower teams. A few of them have really poor defense right now. 
and if we add uh, two more teams, yep. um, it's just going to deplete it even more. It just seems like, you know, people can make a lot of money, obviously, by owning a franchise, and, and but I don't know that it necessarily grows the game from a quality of play standpoint when you're when we're already with 30 teams, we don't have enough defensemen to go around. I think it probably makes it a lower-scoring league. I think you probably have the hockey continue to be very grinding and technical, and maybe teams that have superstars get even more of an advantage. Yeah, yeah. Chad, thanks for okay. calling. Thanks, bye. Okay, that's a, that's, a, that's a good topic too. But I do want to get to uh, Kelly Rudy. He's up next to talk goalie equipment and playing outside in Las Vegas when we get back. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Oilers head coach Todd McClellan coming up just after the 7 o'clock news. Right now we welcome from the NHL on Rogers, former L.A. Kings, San Jose Sharks, and New York Islanders goaltender Kelly Rudy. Kelly, how are you doing? I'm awesome. How about you? Yeah, doing very well. Man, I guess the Oilers power play is okay after all. <laughs> At least for one night. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's how it goes, right? You, you uh, struggle for a night or two, and everybody says everything bad about you, and then you're, you're okay for a night, and then everybody's, hey, it's all good. No more worries. So that is the way the uh, the NHL works, it seems. Well, nice to see them uh, get some pucks through from from the line, which uh, they they'd had trouble they had trouble doing. I mean, some people say you got to block shots to prove you're a good teammate, and some people argue, you know, the goalies wear a lot of equipment. Why not let them stop all the pucks? Well, that, and I've always said that, right? And you know, I understand totally blocking shots, but if I had my way, what I think would be just I'd adapt or change that theory just a little bit. Like you don't have to be blocking all these point shots. It, it's needless. And uh, I don't think it, it, you don't turn a lot of pucks over that way. You don't create a lot of offense. Certainly if the guy's going to get a one-timer in the slot, yeah, well, that's a shot that you should be trying to block if you can, get in the way any, any way possible. But I just don't believe in that whole theory. I know it's the way every single team plays, but I think there's a better method around the corner. At least I hope so. Well, and that's a good segue into dis the discussion about the goalie equipment because we all know what cheaters your kind are, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> that's a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I mean, the goalies do wear a lot of equipment. Um, I, I don't know if we quite see the, the Garth Snow exaggerated shoulder pads that we used to saw, but but next year they're they're talking about making it a little more so the equipment is better suited to each particular uh, goaltender's body. I mean, you've you've been through this, you've been through rule changes, you've been through part of the era where the equipment got bigger, um, yeah. but you also know the risks of playing that position. So I'm, I'm interested to get your perspective on these latest proposals. Well, I think it's a, a really good start. And they've chosen uh, two pieces of equipment that I do think uh, have been getting carried away, the upper body protection and, of course, the pants. So uh, the stories are legendary of guys wearing uh, two pairs of pants. Uh, now, trust me when I tell you some of these things, Reed, it's, it's, it's very few guys have done that in the past, but, but it has been something that uh, you have to be aware of. Um, and there are a lot of most of the guys don't do that, so I don't want to accuse everybody of being a cheater like that. But the pants are just too big; they're they're enormous in comparison to what they need for protection. And uh, there's no question about the upper body. 
you know, to a certain degree, we, we don't want guys to be injured. But it, it doesn't need to be bulletproof either, right? So there's no harm if they feel the occasional shot. I mean, uh, we don't want to go back to my day, and certainly we don't want to go back to uh, uh, Turk Broda type equipment either. I mean, it, everybody knows the guys shoot a lot harder now. But having said that, I was a little annoyed recently to hear some of the current goalies saying, yeah, but how would you like to face a one-timer from Chara? Well, you know what? I have. And maybe it wasn't Chara necessarily in his heyday one-timer, but we still had Al Iafrady, Al McKinnis, Brett Hall, many, many other guys. Uh, even you go back to Glenn Hall's time when uh, uh, Bobby Hall was played. I mean, they're always historically have been guys with through-the-roof hard shots. So that theory I, you can tell it bugs me when they say that, that in your time you never had guys with these kind of one-timers. Um, but you look at guys, and I'm not going to name names, but you can easily pick out who I'm talking about. There are some goalies in the league, and they've been very successful for a couple of reasons. Uh, they read the play really well. They, they anticipate what's going to happen. They have natural skill. But when you see them off the ice, they're skinny, skinny guys. Like, come on. And you look at them in, in the net, and they're enormous. And that's got to change because that has nothing to do whatsoever with protection. That is just bulk, plain and simple. And so for, for those reasons, that's why I get really passionate about this. Uh, I like Ryan Miller. He said earlier this year when uh, the proposal was made, or I think even the threat of uh, a bigger net, he said, hang on, let's not rush in anything. Well, rush in anything. We've been having this conversation for 15 years or more like it's about time i'm really glad read the reason why it's going to happen not that we're hoping it's going to happen but it is going to happen because finally the goalies are mad they're mad if they're six foot five and they're starting for their team they're mad at looking down the end of the ice and i'm not going to mention names again but a guy that's six feet or under and he's wearing the same equipment or bigger than these guys so in fairness, that's what's going to happen now. If you're a goalie like Jonathan Quick, uh, I know he's for it. He's not worried one bit because he's so athletic. He'll get by. And I'm really glad to hear that Corey Schneider, Braden Holtby, and uh, I'm drawing a blank in the third, but those guys have really been the behind this, and that's a great thing. Well, and I, you're, Todd McClellan made a great point yesterday, too, similar to what you said, where you, you meet a goaltender off the ice after a game and you think, where's the rest of them? And, then, and that's because right. he's been wearing so much equipment. So, yeah, I, I hopefully it gets – and I don't know. I, I don't know if it's going to lead to more goals. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. I don't know. But but the, the top goalies, like you said, are saying, hey, I'm a good athlete. I, I can make right. the save. What do, you want, what do you want me to wear? I'll wear it and I'll still stop the puck. So hopefully those are the guys that are right. – that are rewarded through these changes. Kelly Rudy joining us. Sorry, hang go ahead. on, Reed. I've got one more point going down the road. I don't know how you can enforce this, but I had a great conversation with somebody recently, a goalie, and he is telling me, you know what? You know what would make it even more difficult for us if you made us cinch up the pads tighter, and especially how they do it, how they uh, uh, strap the pad to the skate at the at the toe. Mm-hmm. You made us wear tighter pads and not the ones that just sort of float all around. It would make it more difficult for us, and we'd have to become even more athletic because some guys are getting away with not doing all the stretching and stuff because the pads do it for you now. 
So if you made us do this, that that would be another step in the right direction. Oh, okay. That's an interesting one. Good point. Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports. want to hit on a couple of other things with you. One of our themes through the show tonight is some discussion about raising the age of players who are eligible to be drafted into the NHL. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, Paul Reinhardt, who will talk about this from his own experiences and from mm-hmm. having three sons who have all recently uh, been drafted. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. But you also, um, no, you were drafted back in 1980? Yeah. And you were 19, right? That's right. And do you think so, it should go up to 19 or 20? I do, but there would have to be some sort of exception in place for maybe first-rounders or something. And okay. We had this, this discussion on Hockey Night last Saturday um, because you're not talking a lot about a lot of kids um, that it would really affect. So you're probably only talking 15 to, I don't know, 20 kids maybe every year that have that at 18 have the potential to go in the first round. Um, and that, of course, impacts their life greatly. But I think for the most part, if you were to raise it a year, it would in fact improve um, your draft position because you're a year better. The scouts have a better idea of what you are, um, what you might develop into. And I can only use myself as an example, Reed. So if I would have been drafted as an 18-year-old, um, in all likelihood, I would, I would have been passed over and or I would have been a low draft choice. But because I had another year to develop, scouts had a better year or another year to understand that I was improving rapidly. So I went from that sort of drop position to the following year where I ended up going in the second round, which is, I know I'm sounding like a bragger here, but that's awfully high for a goaltender, especially back then. And so to put it in real terms, I went from, basically no signing bonus to a pretty handy signing bonus in 1980. So it dramatically changed my life and uh, many other guys, and it would to uh, to this day. It, it makes sense. I, I know a lot of scouts would love it. I mean, I've talked to scouts over the years about it, and they'd love it. I mean, guys lose their jobs when they're trying to predict what an 18-year-old is going to turn into as opposed to a 19-year-old. Well, yeah, it's especially that age. It's amazing how much difference a year or two makes in someone's yeah. uh, maturity, just physical mind, physical ability, mental approach to life and, and the sports. So yeah, I wonder where, where this one is going to and you, And you're right, maybe the McDavid's and Eichel's of the world, okay, fine, you're ready to play, right. you're drafted high, you can come in, but but after the second round you make a different rule. Uh, yeah, I found it more, more, Hang on one sec again. I hate to keep no, interrupting okay. on both topics. <laughs> more importantly... It's a negotiated item, though, so that would have to be there. Would have to be something uh, negotiated between both sides, and the PA, of course, would have to get something in return for something like that. All right, and finally, I, I found it interesting how the uh, they come up with these rules for an expansion draft, even though, as Gary Bettman reminds us, oh, we're not expanding, we're not expanding. There's no plan yet. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Las Vegas might be where <laughs> they wind up going. Uh, right. And I'm like, wait a minute, big deal. Kelly Rudy's already played an NHL game in Las Vegas. Yes, indeed. One of the highlights of my NHL career. So I want to say go back to 1991. Um, September and I, 27th. Was, oh, yeah. What, what was the date? September 27th, 91. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and so uh, it was between us and the New York Rangers. My good friend John Van Beesbrook was uh, the goalie in the other net. 
And it was in the parking lot at Caesars Palace. Bruce McNall, our owner at the time, had organized this uh, fantastic uh, uh, event. And it was really cool. I mean, there was, uh, I can't recall who came in from the New York Rangers early, but I think there was like five of us uh, on the Kings. There was uh, Wayne, of course. There was uh, Dave Taylor. Larry Robinson was still a defenseman on our team. He came. I I was there. I'm, I'm missing maybe somebody, maybe Luke or somebody. And we went in for some media a day or two early. And uh, so that was very cool. But we were also able to watch the rink, the final touches of the rink being uh, put in place and so on. And and the day before, I want to say it's like 90-some degrees. And we're thinking there's not a chance that this ice will hold up. But uh, I don't know if it was Dan Craig or who it was back then, but they did an amazing job because game time – um, the, the ice was fantastic. The only thing that really threw off the experience, uh, there's locusts. Uh, a swarm of locusts came through about midway through the second. So literally there were locusts on, stuck on the ice um, for part of the game, which was kind of creepy. Uh, <laughs> and and you, can, you can YouTube it, I think, uh, because I wore a camera on my helmet. It's called the Rudy Cam. And I think that, well, I know for a fact that's the first time that's ever been tried. I had a camera. I had a microphone. Unfortunately, the microphone never worked the entire game. And because it was 1991, with technology as it was, I had this enormous battery pack strapped to my low back inside my pants. It was hotter than uh, hell. Everything about it was uncomfortable. The battery pack, I think, must have weighed like 3,000 pounds but it was well worth it, and uh, and I mean that was just such a great memory. It was awesome. I think we even won four to two if I if my memory serves me well. It's your memory's pretty good. Five two according to the the beauty of Wikipedia. Now, did you notice okay. the camera on your like? Did it throw you off? Did you have to balance no. for it? No, it, the camera itself is very light. It uh, if uh, my again my memory serves me well. It's, it basically kind of shaped like a lighter, um, like a big lighter, maybe uh, a little bit longer, a little bit uh, bigger in circumference. And quite surprisingly, it was fairly light. I don't, at least my lasting memory is, I, I don't recall that being an issue whatsoever. Uh, just like I said, it was the crazy battery pack that uh, weighed me down, and, and it was so hot. I mean, the game itself, I believe somebody said the the temperature when the puck was dropped, opening faceoff was 74 degrees. So, I mean, that's pretty warm to play a game of hockey when you're a goalie. You have all those that equipment on anyways. Wow. Okay. That is cool. Kelly, great stuff this week, man. Really appreciate your opinions on all this, and uh, enjoy your weekend. We will talk to you again next week. Thanks, pal. I'll talk to you soon. That is Kelly Rudy. It is 7 o'clock in the next half hour. Oilers head coach Todd McClellan.